This is The Premise, and I'm your host, Jennifer. Chad Thompson. De- no, Chad I, Thompson's the no, host. I'm the host. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Thompson. And I'm Chad Thompson, the host. <laughs> Today on The Premise, Chad and I talk with Keith Rawson, whose forthcoming novel, Road 7, is set to hit the bookstore shelves on July 14th, 2020, which, by the way, is my birthday. Most auspicious choice, Keith. Hey, what can I say? (laughs) Thank (laughs) you very much. planned ahead. You knew what you were doing, yeah. So what's the Bastille Day tie-in? Yeah, I appreciate it. None? No no Bastille Day tie-in? No, uh -uh. Just was? Yeah. It was my birthday, Chad. Come on, get with it. So Keith is also the author of The Mercy of the Tide, Behind the Mask, Smoke City, and others. He is an illustrator, a graphic designer, a fine artist, a teacher, a husband, and most recently, a father. Keith Rawson, welcome to The Premise. Oh my gosh, thank you guys so much for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, we're super excited. So I understand you've recently, well, you're you're fostering a th- three-year-old and a four-year-old is that right correct yeah we got um we these kids came into our lives about a month before everything uh really uh, went sideways yeah with the the quarantine and the stay-at-home orders and everything so whoa they had just enough time to kind of get acclimated to like an entirely new life and new school and friends Mm. and then it's like oh now you have to stay at home with these people that you kind of know but not really yeah yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. How's it? No friends for you. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Which on the one hand is probably good because you have time to bond and Yeah, we're doing some great attaching uh for sure and it's been I mean it's been incredible. It's been very 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 intense at times, but it's mm-hmm. also been like really moving and very cool. Um, and do you have plans to adopt officially? Yeah, with their uh, their native kids, and so under the uh, Indian Child Welfare Act, um, we can't actually um, adopt them. Um, so we can be permanent guardians of them, and that okay. takes like a fifteen month process. Um, wow! So, and that's at best. Like, who knows mm. what kind of monkey wrench is going to be thrown into the gears with all of this? <laughs> um, so it Does- may be a longer thing, but that's the plan. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, does that just from from your perspective, does it does it just feel like you don't want to get too attached or bond because there's this worry that you might not be able to keep them permanently? Does that ever cross uh, your I mind? Mean, that it, that's definitely uh, uh, affects a lot of people and their decisions. But to me, it's just um, no, because the things that <laughs> the um, the mm. people in their lives would need to do um, mm-hmm. to, uh, for them to be parents again uh, are like, that would be so amazing for these kids, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. it also, but it also feels like um, it's, that it feels like a, a long shot mm-hmm. that that would happen. So um, we're gotcha. very much like, they feel like our children. Oh, um, that's awesome. pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah they're, little lunatics but they're so rad (laughs) and those are really cool ages too like they have so much personality yeah yesterday one of them was like it was an actual quote of i had to say in the space of like half an hour no you are not a fish stick uh no i am not mommy's brother Hmm. No, I did not come from mommy's tummy. And no, Paul Bunyan did not bite your face when you were a baby. Wow. Wow. Those are. Um, <laughs> it's just last one. Just, man, that just a little, out, little specific know? on that yeah. last one. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, my gosh. Well, how has it been with for your family in during this whole time of COVID-19 and staying in? Um, uh, it's what's tough. the climate I mean, like there? We are very, very fortunate because we both still have work. Mm. Um, and we're able to work from home. And, uh, so we're better off than a lot of people are. And we very much are like not taking that for granted, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. I hear so, you. So yeah, Tell I mean, her- all told we're doing a lot better than, than, um, some folks are. And we're very much aware of that. Mm. D- Tell our listeners where you're calling him from. Uh, I'm calling him from beautiful Portland, Oregon right mm. now. Um, overcast Portland, Oregon today. <laughs> 
Like that narrows it down. (laughs) (laughs) The green, the green and beautiful Portland and weird Portland, Mm -hmm. Oregon. Yeah, it's slowed down a lot in the weirdness, but yeah, it's still there. Yeah, you actually kind of mentioned that in your book. In the beginning of Road 7, there's this scene where one of the characters is at this bar. It's underneath, I think it's the Morrison Bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he's sort of looking out and thinking, you know, there's still a little bit of weirdness, but for the most part, like there's a, the city has changed so much and he's sort of lamenting Mm -hmm. that change, if I remember correctly. And I totally related to that because we lived in Portland in 2001. Okay. Yeah, it was a fantastic man. It was such a great, and I don't such mean a, to, I don't mean Not that it's not say, cool now, right, yeah, right. It, it's just markedly different. The world was markedly different then, you know? For sure. Um, yeah, for sure. My, my first day of work at uh, Showcase Music uh-huh. uh, was on when 9-11 happened. Literally right. on September Literally. 11th. Yeah, right. Yeah, you guys went in, watched Went it into work and just were staring at the TV screen like, oh, shit. Yeah, wow. right. Not a good day to start your a new job. Yeah. Well, let's get down to it. Your latest book, again, Road 7, features alien abductions, drug addiction, unicorns, haunted woods off the coast of Iceland. Very cool. A potential murder. I'm curious, do you sleep okay or do you just have super wild dreams? Yeah, I think like we had briefly talked about this before where I I fancy myself a literary author, um, but I'm also just physically incapable of not like putting a robot or a ghost or uh, or a unicorn or a unicorn <laughs> or a dog baby or something in there you know so that's awesome well i have to say i do think that your work really verges on literary and i realize it doesn't fit squarely into that genre Mm -hmm. but your writing is so beautiful when i was reading yeah yeah like i just love the way you put together sentences if i'm reading a book and i like have to stop pause and like reread a sentence just so i can appreciate the beauty of the wordsmithing like that's a good book for me and i've found that too yeah right and and then i get the call and say chad you you gotta hear this this. (laughs) totally you know i am enjoying a book if i make chad stop what he's doing and i read it to him right and your your book like that happened to me many times like i absolutely love the writing and i love the fact that i was reading a book that had unicorns in it Mm-hmm. Like I don't do that real often. Yeah, I, it's one of the I love um, kind of mashing genres around mm. and just kind of turning them on their heads a little bit to where it's not like a straight horror novel um, or it's not just like a ghost story, um, right? Because it's a lot a lot of stuff like that. It just I still want it to be rooted in character and rooted in some form of reality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like there's a lot of crazy stuff in there and wild stuff, but also it's very much like character driven most of the time, you know? Well, I know that you also teach classes for lit reactor and mm-hmm. one of your, one of the last classes you, you taught was magic in the mundane, which concentrated on magical realism. Right. And I'm a huge fan of magical realism. And you, you just said something that really rings true. And I hadn't really thought about before. And this comes from a description from your class by the way, writers don't invent new worlds, but instead reveal the fascinating aspects of the ones they inhabit already. So they reset a myth in our current political climate and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty awesome. So like you get to create magical realism in the world we're already inhabiting. And it seems like there's a lot more, I don't know, space for things to go sideways in, in that scenario. Yeah, that's the cool thing is you just like... Um and there's no like, like what constitute magical realism. There's no like hard and fast definition of it, but it, it very much is like this. Uh, I mean, it, it can be like based off mythology or based off of like, um, like folk mythology or um, superheroes or whatever, you know, anything that's, that's sort of based in the supernatural mm-hmm. um, and, but still rooting it very much in um everyday life and so it just yeah it just opens up an entirely new field when you're like playing with all these extra tools of like oh yeah superman totally let's do something with superman right Um, right but just making it work that way uh it it just you have extra avenues uh to work with that you wouldn't um necessarily have in other fields i feel like did you always know you wanted to be a writer 
That's a good question. I, I don't know. I think so. I also wanted to be an artist when I was a kid. I drew just incessantly for as long as I could remember. Um, but I also, yeah, I wrote, I wrote stories, um, you know, within like second or third grade, I was writing, uh, stories. Mm. So I, it was in the blood for sure. <laughs> it was, it was there. It was percolating. Yeah. 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 And I think it's important for our listeners to know that you're actually technically legally blind. You mm -hmm. see the world through bottle cap sized lenses, as it were. One might see the world like this if they were looking through a pinhole camera. And yet, not only are you an author, but you're an artist, a fine artist, a graphic designer. You right. wrote you wrote an article in the Huffington Post where you said, I can literally only see inches of paper at once. Mm -hmm. My art will always be strangely flattened, will always look a little off. It has its limits, and it always will. How has that affected your confidence as an artist, or has it been maybe one of the like a catalyst for your success that you just didn't take no for an answer? Yeah, that's I uh I'm I have optic nerve hypoplasia, which mm. is pretty much a, uh, shortening and deadening of the optic nerve. Um, so for me, it resulted in like really severe tunnel vision, like, like very limited peripheral vision. Mm. And so if I'm looking at say an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, like I can't see the whole thing all at the same time. Mm. So it's like a constant kind of pulling back, uh, to see the image and it's markedly more difficult on, um, like a large computer, you know, um, like you, I can't see my entire visual field all at once. And so it does kind of make my art look, uh, a little, um, unique. And <laughs> it's something that I, I sometimes love and sometimes it's just so friggin' irritating, um, mm. that I can't quite get something to look the way I want it to, but that's also very much, uh, I'm not the first person visually impaired or otherwise to feel that way about their shit, you know? So, so it's sort of like you have to scan. Yeah. You know, and, and literally is where the image is. Yeah. And, um, and then just, yeah, it's a continual like scanning and then pulling back to reassess and then kind of diving back in. Hmm. I find that fascinating that you continued with your art and that never was, uh, so frustrating that you gave up like it, it was never it didn't seem like it was ever even in your your reality that to yeah. not do it yeah I was I I had a pretty um uh my family's going through a lot of stuff when I was uh a younger person and so I didn't find out the depth of my visual impairment until I was about um probably 10 and then like we really didn't start to finally get the full thing of it by the time I was like 13. Um, mm. and by then I'd been drawing my entire life and was firmly entrenched in it and loved it. And, um, so it, 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 it wasn't a hindrance to be like, Oh, okay. I, I, I can't, I'm supposedly unable to do this thing cause I've been doing it. Right. You'd already been doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And you were like super into comic books. Is that right? Yeah. Huge comic book nerd, huge Stephen King nerd. Um, and then like 12 or 13, I got into punk. Um, and then, so I feel like my books are pretty much like, um, Stephen King, the X-Men and like a dead Kennedy's tape all just smushed together. You know, <laughs> I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. 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 I love that. Where did you grow up? A little coastal town called Newport, Oregon. Okay. Um, so just at the time it was like a small it's very touristy now and it was markedly touristy then, but like very much so now. Um, just like little fishing town, um, pretty beat down, uh, had a nice aquarium eventually, that sort of thing. Like um, just a little coastal town in Oregon. A real husker do town. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that town was, was well known for something that happened with a whale. Is that right? That's right. Um, <laughs> Ch Chad, Chad had mentioned that where it was, uh, I can't remember the exact year. It was like 72 or 74 or something when a, a whale washed up on the beach. Um, I think it was a little bit further south of Newport, but I can't quite remember. It was mm. 
but um, it stayed there for a long time. Uh, and as it rotted, eventually, like uh, the county and the city and the state and all that decided they had to do something about it. And uh, so eventually the um, responsibility got sent down to the um, highway department. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so <laughs> they Odon seem decided, like the perfect people to, to take care of a smelly will. Totally on the beach. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no highway near. Yeah. Right. So their, their solution um, was to just uh, pack a lot of explosives um, underneath oh it. And oh. in the idea and, to like it blow it up. Huh? Um, yeah. But it only blew up very specific parts of it. And so they like rained blubber down for like half a mile. Oh my around, God. But it mostly stayed intact. So <laughs> makes for an awesome YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. 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 Has that ever found its way into any of your stories, any of your short stories no, or novels? It's so funny. It's like I, um, my parents actually have pictures. Like I think they went to see it. Uh, really? Yeah, it was oh, like good before, for them. I would too. Totally. It was, it was like before <laughs> that, uh, before the exploding went on. But yeah, I guess shit was not that happening in uh, the coast in '74. Yeah, you, you get a small enough town, and it's like the strangest shit drags you out of your house. Yeah, right. Like, right. like we'll we're going going down to the whale. Yeah, go check out the whale. Um, but yeah, it doesn't quite. Um, like I love a lot of Oregon stuff. Um, but that one doesn't quite snare me um, mm. as far as like Oregon history does, you know? What does? Like, is there a Sasquatch? Yeah. Well, I don't know. There was one where, um, I mean, this is actually a, a part of my uh, first novel, The Mercy of the Tide. It was actually a, a pretty important part of it. But my friends um, discovered a skeleton mm. um, when in a in like a, um, I want to say like a park. Human? Um, yeah, a human skeleton in the very early 80s. And it was in like this clay bank. And uh, it had, it was like a pioneer, a young pioneer girl from like a hundred years before. And Whoa, yeah. that is cool. And so they were like very young and they got their pictures in the paper and everything. <laughs> right. Um, and the 15 minutes of fame. That first yeah, exactly. taste of stardom. <laughs> Where was this? This was in Newport. Um, okay. I, I wow. Newport like, has a lot going on. Yeah. I want to say it was like 1980. Um, okay. Mostly and, dead whales and erosion. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that was like such a, that's one of those ones that like has snared itself within me for decades. And it actually became a part of my first book, like a oh, significant part. So yeah. just weird little bits of history like that, you know? That's cool. Mm -hmm. Do you find that when you're writing, like your subconscious like pulls out some of the weirdest memories or things that you've experienced or heard about that just sort of like make their way into your characters' lives and experiences? I I think so, yeah. And I think a lot of that is like just kind of being attuned to like staying open to um like I don't automatically insert my history into a character mm -hmm. but if i'm making up something for a character it's like using my own stuff as like the kind of uh the bedrock for it um sure and just so sort of like insert other memory here for this character <laughs> but still bringing up the same like emotional qualities mm -hmm. um, that i felt around it like that sort of stuff i don't know if that answers your question or not no, totally, totally. And, you know, speaking of emotional depth in characters, I really loved Brian. So Brian is one of the characters in Road 7. And I just really found him to be such a uh, compelling character. And yet he wasn't really even the main character. In fact, the the description on the back of the book goes into the, you know, Sandoval, mm -hmm. who... The crypt, the cryptozoologist. The cryptozoologist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was, I just really enjoyed like getting to know Brian and like he's just going through this crazy time in his life. And uh, I appreciated just his sensibilities. He was like emotionally connected. And then we've got Sandoval, who is just this depraved. Mm, <laughs> no, he's not terrible. Don't get me wrong. I and mean, people are going to have to read it to find out. But yeah, he's, you he's know, a, he doesn't. 
Did he's he? not that awesome. He's kind of an asshole. <laughs> he's kind of an asshole. Yeah. 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 And he he managed to, which is so, totally perfect. He managed to steal the thunder of the back cover copy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's like, I don't know. I'm, I was very worried about um, that Brian is a schlub and mm. kind of whiny and self, uh, so self-concerned. Hmm. Uh, so I'm glad that he resonated with you as at least an interesting character. Like I have, I don't know about you guys, but I have no problem with disliking a main character. Like mm-hmm. no problem. As long as they're compelling and interesting, you know? Right. And Sandoval was that. He was very compelling and interesting. Yeah, he was super fun to write. Like shitheads are kind of pretty fun to write, I think. Um, right? Yeah. But Brian, I was worried, was too just kind of navel gazing and too self-obsessed. So, um but I think I think it was smart on your part because you needed that to offset the the character that Sandoval was, right? Yeah. So because he was so self-absorbed and mm-hmm. kind of an asshole, you needed Brian to offset him in a way, right? And to be more like um, uh, inward focused, where like I mean, yeah. Sandoval is very much just like a uh, self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to give too much of the story away, but like... Yeah, we can't um, give too much away. Yeah, but he's kind of like, <laughs> he's that guy who's like kind of hustling for his own interests, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian is more like uh, big picture concerned with himself and his family and what he's doing with his life. Yeah. So, yeah Where am like, I going? Which who yeah. doesn't feel like that, right? Totally, right. Well... I understand that you wrote the back cover copy, which mm-hmm. surprised me because most authors have no business writing back cover copy. <laughs> oh man. And it's a weird, um, it's a weird responsibility. It's an awesome responsibility. And let me give a shout out please to Meerkat Press because they are phenomenal. And uh, they give authors so much breathing room and they hustle so hard. And so I am enough of a control freak where I am totally down with doing my own back cover copy. Right. Well, go ahead, uh, go ahead. uh, Yeah. Like Meerkat will be like, uh, we're, we, uh, we want to do like, um, book club questions. Why don't you write some out? And I'm like, all right. Tappity, 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 tap. (laughs) Like it's great fun (laughs) to do that stuff. Nice. Nice. And you also designed the cover, all of your covers. Is that right? Yeah, I've done, um, I've done all of my book covers. Uh, I did, I have a story collection coming out um, next year on Meerkat called Folk Songs for Trauma Surgeons. Mm. I, did, I did that one as well. Nice. I've done like probably four, maybe three or four other Meerkat um, book covers. Do you design covers for their other authors as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. See, it helps so, that you're actually a designer. Most yeah, authors... Really should not design their own covers. It's very rare that you get an author who is also a fine artist. Yeah. And I like, um, I would happily trade being a better writer for not being a designer, but it is, a, <laughs> it is nice to be able to dip your toes in both. You know what I mean? It's cool that they, they give you that opportunity. It's pretty rare for a publisher these days. Yeah. And, and pay they, you for all of them. Right. For all, like even my own covers, they hust they it's an awesome publisher like they are so so awesome they're great meerkatpress.com boom talk yeah (laughs) shout out to meerkat press talk to us about your publishing process and how you came to find them as your publisher um that's a that's a good question i um wrote a book called smoke city and um submitted it to i queried almost i think 97 agents wow i landed one yeah um and then he uh uh, a guy took it on um and we were um we actually sold um the mercy of the tide first to Mm. meerkat Mm -hmm. uh, which i wrote while he was putting smoke city um shopping smoke city around um, so it was a really long process. And then Meerkat bought Smoke City as well. Very so cool. They turned out to be so phenomenal, um, that like every book I've done f- 
I'll have done four books with them. Um, That's great. By next year. Yeah, they're so good. This is really good news for our listener because we've had quite a few authors who said they immediately found an agent and immediately got published. And I want to tell you, as an author, no one <laughs> wants to hear that, right? It's uh, like you, you're like, no, that doesn't happen. So I'm glad that you are able to balance out. This is a normal publishing story. 97 yeah, queries. It, 97 and just like that's the my bit of like writing advice as far as agents go is to just like a um, research mm -hmm. your agents to make sure you're not like messing up their submission guideline, like not meeting their submission guidelines or sending it to like a, a sci-fi agent when your book isn't sci-fi or whatever. Sure. Um, but also just like the perseverance of like having faith in the work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not giving up is that's huge. And you yeah. hear of so many authors that that happens. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that your query letters got better or you yeah. just find okay? No, <laughs> I that's I hustled my ass off on my query letter. It constantly changed and it got better and better and better as it went. Um, and, that, and I think it's so important to have a good query letter and keep it under a page. Under one page. You hear that and it seems almost impossible. Mm -hmm. There's so much to say, right? But they yeah. don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They just want the good stuff. If they want it, they'll ask for a synopsis. You know what I right. mean? Or like right. 50 pages or the full thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just that I try to do it just three paragraphs. Um, wow. You should teach classes on query there you go. writing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so about your writing, do you have a routine that you've established when you sit down to write? Um, things are way different now with the kids. Um, and I am hustling to get all of my, um, graphic design commitments wrapped up. Like I think that, um, I'm in a place where I can hold off on taking on new work for a little bit and mm. just work on writing. So I'm hoping to, once the kids go down, just spend my desperate, sad, weepy last couple hours before I fall into bed. I like uh, how you call them desperate, sad, and weepy. Yeah, Is it because you're you know, exhausted? Yeah, you're just fucking burnt. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, and uh, so that'll be nice. But um, yeah, before the kids came along, it was like it was a, a writing every day sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and just reviewing the previous page or two um, that I'd written and then just like busting it out for a couple hours. So maybe I was good for like 1,500 to 2,000 words a day probably. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Do you have those days where you sit down and you just can't write? Yeah, for sure. And then I usually um, switch to another story. Uh, like I have a lot of, I, I don't know about you guys, I have like seven or eight things that I'm usually working on at once. So I just sort of mm. bounce back and forth. Yeah. So, so you're like, this isn't working. Let, let's work on this for a little bit. Yeah. And it, it just, it gets my brain working in a slightly different way. Um, so that usually works. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's good advice. See, I just stubbornly beat my head against the wall for, you know, four days oh, yeah. at a shot. There, there's too, there's, there's too many times where I've been like, oh, well, maybe I should just change the font. Nope. Then that one's not working. <laughs> I'll change the point, uh, yeah, type size. I don't do it. Right. Well, and the fact that you're a graphic designer too, I mean, I guess you could switch over to art. Yeah. If, right. if the words aren't coming, maybe it totally, the. It totally scratches a different itch though. Like yeah. to me, it's just such a different, it's a different beast for sure. Yeah. Do you have to separate those, that time? Like there's no crossover. Yeah, it's super different. It's super yeah. different for me mentally. Yeah. I want to point out to our listeners that you have a lot of your work on your website, which is really cool. But yeah. my, my favorite piece that I've seen of yours was actually behind you in a photograph that was on that Huffington Post article you wrote. Oh, that's my uh, wife will love to hear that because that is her painting. Oh, it's not yours. I, I was wondering. Yours like oh. is, has the quality of um, of your art. I mean, of your yeah. your, your writing, actually. Like, it's like comic booky and yeah, uh, there's yeah, sort of monster esque. She is a she is an incredible painter. Um, well, yeah, I love her work. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's yeah, done, a, um, a, she's a muralist. She's done tons of murals around town. Um, yeah, she's fantastic. So she's also a creative. Is she also a writer? No. Uh -uh. Okay. Okay. 
Well, I imagine the the little ones will find some creativity in their future. There's going to yeah. be some whether some they like it or not. Finger painting <laughs> and short stories in their future. Yeah, for sure. I read a line on your website that really resonates with me. It says, "When it comes to making art, I'm the only one holding me back. I get to decide every day whether I sit down at that table and start working." Yeah, and I think that comes back to um uh, the notion of, of writer's block mm-hmm. and the notion of, I had a friend who, um, like he, he lived in, um, a studio apartment that was just jam packed with stuff. And he painted in his closet cause he needed like a separate space. And he was just like, dude, if you need to do something, you will find the room for it and you'll find the time for it. And it was wow. like, couldn't even turn around. You know what I mean? But yeah. That was his studio. And I wonder how big it was. How big it was, was that tiny. closet? It was so tiny. Um, but it was enough <laughs> to put an easel and a canvas in there, you know? Yeah. And it was like sequestering himself to make yeah, that happen. Right. And like, so it's that idea where it's like um, this notion that um, things have to be perfect in order to do it is like mm-hmm. it's such, a, uh, uh, such a, a kind of death kiss where it's just like you just – you just have to do it. Right. And it doesn't have to be perfect. A first draft doesn't have to be perfect. A sketch doesn't have to be perfect. You just get the shit done, you know? I think I heard you say once that when you write your books, you literally start writing and you don't let yourself go back and rethink stuff. In fact, you're working on a book now, aren't you? Yeah, I um. I wrapped up a crime novel, which is one my first book that I've written that does not have a ghost or a vampire or a haunted <laughs> pair of shoes or whatever. No Sasquatch in this one. Yeah, right. Totally. Um, <laughs> and that's totally it where it's like, there are marginal things. Like I'll keep another open document that like reminds me of like notes or like has like character sketches where I know like what color a guy's hair is or whatever. Mm. Um, but it's like, uh, mostly like not getting stuck. I've, you know, in teaching classes and just knowing a lot of authors and stuff, like I've just met so many people that are just like, I have 50 pages down and then I just can't get past it. Hmm. And it's like, so I just keep redoing the same 50 pages. Oh, that sounds like hell. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> it's like just, a personal hell. Just like go forward. Cause other, you're just going to be on the, those first 50 pages forever. Well, and you said something, too, that was really interesting to me. You don't really know your characters until you get back to the until you get to the end. Right. And then you can go back to the beginning and say, wait a minute, you know, you yeah. wouldn't have done that. That's exactly why, like, finishing a first draft is so vital, because mm-hmm. by the end of the story, you know your characters so much better. Right. So right. you're able to, like, come with that knowledge to the second draft and be right. like, they're much more fully realized and you know how they would talk better, how they would move through a room, all those minute things that like kind of bring them to life. Yeah. Yeah. The reader that, you know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't get that um, until you're done with the first wretched, shitty, terrible draft. So, (laughs) so tell us how is, you know, you recently finished your first draft, I assume. Yeah. It's so bad. Um, and, and it's like, but I know, and I have to do a bunch of fleshing out, you know? Um, so normally I'll do a like shitty first draft and then a more expansive second draft where I get to kind of play around, mm. um, and expand it a lot. And then the third draft is when I really start to cut and be more precise. So mm. I'll, my books are generally like, I'll do five complete drafts of them, like five edits. So, wow. So from beginning to end five times, typically. But some of that is like, you can read like 20 pages and just do like minute dialogue changes or whatever, you know, like it can go pretty fast sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. others are like, oh, that's that entire section is deeply flawed. So (laughs) I got to scrap it. Is there like this feeling you get when you know it's right? Like it's ready? Yeah, I um. I think that we run the risk of like always being like, um, like just freezing up and being like, Oh, it's, I can't do it. But also, Mm -hmm. um, eventually it just, it, it just starts to look like spaghetti thrown on the page. If you look at it too long, 
you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it's usually about five complete drafts where I'm like, okay, this is where it's going to be. This is it. Is there like a certain amount of time that you give yourself between drafts so that it is a little more fresh and not like that spaghetti? People have said that to me that like people have said that, like give it a month, give it a week, blah, blah, blah. It's such good advice. And I have never done it one time. <laughs> I just can't do no, it. No, like, you just go right sit with it and, and yeah. <laughs> let it germinate. And uh, it's really good advice. And I am just not that writer. You just go right into it. Mm-hmm. Back. So beginning to end, I mean, do you ever edit like out of order? Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll like um, just pick a random spot and do like line editing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And there's no like, like, like concrete way, but it's, that's generally how I do it. And I've done enough books where like, that's kind of my system at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that includes like shitty books that I've never, that aren't good enough to like send out or aren't good enough to be published, you know? So like, um, so how many books do you have that you think are not good enough to be published? I think, well, throughout, I think I, I wrote my first book when I was like 18. Okay. And uh, so I think I've finished nine manuscripts at this point. And, um, and you've published five or six? Four. Four. Okay. Yeah, you have four. short stories too, though. Yeah. So I have three. My third novel will be coming out and my story collection will be coming out uh, next year. So awesome. there's like, like five um, unpublishable books, you know? So mm. that's also one thing I hear, like people are so trepidatious about like a novel like writing a novel and it not being published and like that happens sometimes that's just how it is right yeah and sometimes you have to write a book to get to the next book do you ever think to yourself you know you hear these stories of famous authors having their works published posthumously do you do you ever worry that maybe you need to destroy those so that they don't get published after you die no, I I don't think anybody gives a shit enough to like <laughs> be like oh, yeah, not the yet great, the great Keith Rawson, yeah, uh-huh. the unicorn guy, yes, let's retrieve his novels for sure. <laughs> you never know, you never know. Yeah. There's still time. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. Have any of your novels been optioned for movies? You're, and I ask this because I felt as I was reading Road Seven, it felt like a fast paced movie. Like I could mm-hmm. totally picture it on the screen. Yeah, the, um, there's been like, normally you get little um, bites from producers and TV people, like when the book comes out. Um, mm-hmm. And then sometimes like after, like Mercy, The Mercy of the Tide came out 2016, I think. Um, and it right now is with a production company and they've got a pair of writers who have written um, a nine episode uh, TV series pitch. Wow. They're trying to land. Yeah. Cool. So it's, it's very exciting and it's, it's super cool and they've done things to it, uh, to the story that I wouldn't have even seen coming. Um, and it's super fun and who knows if it's going to get beyond the pitch stage, you mm. know, but, um, it's fun. It seems like it could be kind of nerve wracking. Like you just hope that these people do it justice and they do what you would do. I honestly, I don't, I mean, um, not to be cavalier about it, but like there's money involved. Yeah. And <laughs> a like, lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, you're I like, don't I don't come care. Come on, Amazon. Come on, Netflix. Yeah. You got this. <laughs> I, I don't care. That's totally up to them. And um, uh, it's their, it's their kid. And, right. Uh, it's no longer your baby. You've- yeah. And I just, I think it's a profound honor to have people like, like my stuff that much to try to um, put it on. Sure. It's really cool. Well, I hope we get to see one of your novels Me on the screen. Too. That would be Very awesome. Much so, yeah. <laughs> I have a good feeling about it. I do. Thank and you. I'm I'm usually right about these things. My feelings I are that. usually spot on. Tell me something. Do you have a couple authors who have really inspired you throughout your life? Um throughout my life. Yeah, I mean, you're like the, Yeah, the, I, I grew up on Stephen King books. Um, right. And so that is like that guy is just ingrained in my DNA, I think. Um, my two two authors that I think are, um, just three authors that I think are profoundly good are Kelly Link, 
And all of her short stories are just like, she is one of the best writers we've ever been blessed with. Um, Nathan, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. Nathan Ballingrud, B-A-L-L-I-N-G-R-U-D. Mm-hmm. He wrote a horror story uh, collection called Wounds, um, which, and they're, they're making a movie out of one of the stories and, and it's the best collection I've read in years. Nice. Um, and then there's a straight up literary fiction dude named Kevin, uh, Kevin Barry. He's Irish. He is just fantastic. Very cool. Very cool. Do you ever, when you're writing, do you ever go back and like read passages from works that really inspired you in the past or made you want to write just to like kind of, I don't know, get that feeling going? Does I that, totally do. And yeah, heard, like people have suggested like, taking a page from a book that you really like and then typing it out hmm. uh, just to kind of get that. I've like, heard this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I've never Didn't done Hunter it, S. Thompson like, do that? To I don't know. Some Hemingway book? It's, I think he did. Cool, yeah. yeah. It's a cool idea. Um, but yeah, I will totally like if I'm feeling things are not going well, I will make sure to like pick up a book um, that resonates and just uh, read some of it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's fantastic. It's a great little salve, you know? Yeah. Yeah, to that to get that inspiration going. Totally. I'm cu- currently working on writing a memoir myself. Okay. And I hadn't read memoir before. And right. there are so many amazing memoirs out there. And so mm-hmm. lately I just stack them up in a certain place in my writing room so that they're easily accessible. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm starting to mark those pages because when right. you read those sentences that just move you and those sentences are so well constructed, it's so cool to go back and read it. And that's when I get excited, get yeah. excited to write, you know, the same will happen with me for movies. Like I'll be watching a really well-directed movie with a great plot line, great character development. And I'll just start to feel like these, this creative fire. Does mm-hmm. that happen with you? Yeah. And I think that goes back to like, um, one of the most important things about writing to me, like how to write is to just be a good reader. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And to yeah. just like, to just love the act of it and, and uh, to love reading itself, you know? And so I think that's such a key, like people are like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to read anything for fear that it will infiltrate my work. And it's just mm. like, dude, yeah. reading is awesome. Just read books just because <laughs> that in and of itself is rad. Yeah. And you can't be a writer without reading. Yeah. I hear you. I know it's weird. It's <laughs> super weird. And yet the, I've absolutely heard people say that. Yeah. But I will say those are typically very new writing students. Yeah. I've never heard an author, an established author say that. True, true, true. I yeah. don't think you ever will. I don't think I yeah. ever will. Just like you'll never hear a musician say, you know, I don't listen I don't, to other people's music. Right. Because yeah, I hate right? for it to influence mine. Totally. Right. Unless, yeah. of course, you know, you're like Ingve Malmsteen. Hmm. Or... I will nod and smile. <laughs> I do not know enough to say either way. Oh, jeez. Tell us more, Chad. No, I, I just pulled out some ridiculous. Uh, All I can see in like my head is like most ridiculous, crazy blonde hair person that I could think of. He was the one with the white hair, right? Uh, he was just some guitar, guitar player. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, why I know who that is, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> I love it. I sold him an amplifier while I was at Showcase Music just to to tie this all all back to Portland. That's pretty cool. Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think he should appear in one of your novels. Just saying. There you go. Yeah. Oh, good Lord, no. (laughs) Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have a a group, like a a read and critique group that you work with when you're working on your novels? Or is your, yeah? I think that... um, I think that's a, a, a fantastic free way of like getting support and getting um, input on your work and also making you a better reader mm-hmm. by being a, in a writing group. And it's super fun. And mm. if you're in my writing group, you get to drink beer. Nice. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's a great way for fellowship because writing can be kind of lonely. Yeah. And um my, like Road 7 started as a series of writing prompts from my writing group. Oh, okay. And it into an entire novel. So, Do you remember the writing prompt? Yeah, I think there were like three of them. It was like, uh, 
The only ones that I can definitively remember were um, unicorns and uh, oh, unicorns, Iceland, and sex in a pumpkin patch. Uh, and <laughs> nice. so we managed to get two out of three in there, and like two and a half. I was I gonna think, say the pumpkin patch appears. Yeah, I don't think anyone has sex in the pumpkin patch, but there's definitely near it, maybe. Mm. Yeah, sure. Like in proximity <laughs> yeah. to the uh-huh. pumpkin. At some patch. point in time, yeah. yeah, in Iceland. Now that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it, and it's like that's the cool thing. We're like that started from three little scraps of paper that I picked out at my writing group, and then a book came out of it. Wow, so, wow, a really good yeah. book. Yeah, so when <laughs> when you got the publishing deal for that book, did you go to your writing group and say, "Hey, check it out! Remember those bizarre prompts?" Well, here we go. Yeah, it was really neat. It was, I mean, like that those prompts were years old by the time that uh, the book was done. So mm. there had been a lot of attrition in the writing group, but there were a few people that were like, <laughs> no way. Oh my gosh. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know Chad wants to ask you what kind of beer y'all drink. Oh, right now I'm drinking one called a, uh, it's just called IPA Caldera, mm. Caldera IPA. All right. And it's some, um, uh, Ashland, Oregon, uh, brewery. Nice. Drinking yeah. local. Fucking hippies. There you go. It actually says on the can, go boarding, go rafting, go hops, go biking, go fishing, go skiing. Oh. Huh. Wow. Yikes. Didn't know that. Yeah. Until now. So, so ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot to do while drinking a beer. I should not be doing any of those things right now, honestly. Right. Not after, yeah. Not after an IPA. Certainly. Yeah. Is, is there any advice that you would like to offer a, and it, it's great that you're also a writing instructor, but, you know, any of our listeners who are looking to get their works published, who, who feel that writer's block, you know, advice that, that you would offer someone to carry them through and to see it through to publishing. Yeah. And it's, it's really like just only a few things. Um, and it's kind of the same advice that I say all the time. And, and one of them is give yourself permission to write a shitty first draft and just finish the thing. Nice. And then, um, I'm going to take that advice by the way. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the middle of four different novels. Be, yeah. Oh, be shitty. Okay. Yeah. That's rough. Oh my God. Yeah. That is like, there's a lot of like plot stuff going on in each of those. I'm sure that, um, that's a lot of work. Holy cow. I think that might be the problem. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. There's a little bit of plot stuff. But yeah, I have a hard time. I'm the person who rewrites the sentences until they're perfect. Which is great. That's my curse. I do that too. But you wait. I do it when the book's done. You You get the shitty first draft. Yeah. Um, And then I think my other things would be like, let... um, find that line between having faith in the work and being accepting of criticism. Yeah. And yeah. like taking what you can and then pushing the rest aside. But like, there's a reason why um, people are there to help you. You know what I mean? And right. so like take what you can from them. And my writing has improved immeasurably in being in a writing group and having people read my work. Do you right. have do you have advice for how to find a writing group that works for you? No, I don't. I, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Just, just find like, one close by, or like get your right like get your writer buddies together. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Mine happened really organically. Um, nice. And Portland is a big enough town where that's like a privilege for that to happen. You know. What yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, well, she, you know, you could potentially have some heavy hitters there in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's also like thing you can do this online too. Like there are ways to do it online. Um, Has your reading, your writing group, have you been meeting via Zoom or FaceTime during the Corona? Zo- I haven't Zoomed anybody. No. Uh, huh. no. Good for I you. Have, I have yet to, I've done it a couple times with like my kids and they're um, like, they really miss their classroom a lot. And so mm. We've been able to watch, like, do video stuff with, like, their teacher and everything. Right. Um, but I haven't, like, done a weird, like, get drunk writing group Zoom party or anything. But <laughs> who knows? It may happen. I kind of like the idea of the writing prompts that come out of COVID-19. Yeah, right? Just, There's like, some... me crying next to the washing machine here with my computer. will be perfect. 
<laughs> your IPA and your, yeah, right. your shitty uh, first draft. Sad little brick wall here. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's going to be good. Well, Keith, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. This has been uh, I awesome. Actually, I had so much fun. This is really cool. Well, I just appreciate you taking the time. And I want to wish you a belated happy birthday. Now it's thank been about so a week. Much. Thank you. Um, this will be a birthday you remember, I imagine. Absolutely. My quarantine birthday. That's Welcome right. to old age. Yeah, right? Yep. <laughs> nah, he's not there yet. <laughs> Getting there, getting there. <laughs> We're all working toward it. Yeah. You can learn more about Keith Rawson and his forthcoming book, Road to Seven, available July 14th, 2020, everywhere books are sold. Plus, you can learn more about Keith at keithrawson.com, buy his awesome art, and see what is up to next on Facebook and Twitter at Keith underscore Rawson. This has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at thepremisepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at podpremise and subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, be safe, friends, and thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Are you an author with a story to tell, but you're just not sure how to get that story out? Guess what? You don't have to do it alone. Marnie Friedman is an incredible writing coach. She offers personalized support and expertise to guide you from a kernel of an idea to completion. Visit MarniFriedman.com to learn more. That's M-A-R-N-I-F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N.com. This episode is brought to you by Monkey C Media, a small boutique design firm offering award-winning websites, book cover designs, book trailers, and photography services. And full disclosure, we love what we do. Chad and I founded Monkey C Media in 2004, and we're still going strong. Visit monkeycmedia.com. That's M-O-N-K-E-Y, the letter C, media.com to see how we can help you promote your book, Build a powerful online presence. Mm-hmm. What else you got, Chad? Uh, let's see. We've got the San Diego Writer Festival. San Diego Writers Festival. There That's are many writers. <laughs> and they're a proud sponsor of our Premise Podcast as well. Mm-hmm.